Are you an enthusiastic wine drinker but sweat uncontrollably over a restaurant list from Albarino to Zweigelt? Set aside your fears, relax, and start enjoying wine without worry. Here's your host, Jameson Fink. I'm at Seattle's Metropolitan Grill in a very luxurious booth of uh, dark green and dark wood uh, overtones. Uh, it's very posh. It's very nice. Thanks to them for letting me uh, hang out here for this episode of the show. And if you didn't get enough New Zealand last week, I've got even more in New Zealand for you. And this is really exciting because I'm uh, hanging out with uh, the winemaker from one of the most iconic wineries in all of New Zealand. It's, it's Cloudy Bay. So I'm going to welcome Tim Heath to the show. And Tim, my first question is, can you talk about the significance of Cloudy Bay Sauvignon Blanc that we have in our glass right now as far as uh, uh, getting the world to know about New Zealand? Like how, how important, how iconic is this wine? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, it's a, quite a special one in terms of New Zealand's you know, history, not only with Sauvignon, but this, just history in terms of um, the global awareness of, of what our country is doing uh, and help sort of I guess lay the the groundwork for for what the industry looks like today. Um, so back in uh, 1985, uh, we made our, our first Sauvignon um, from some uh, from some grower grower fruit. Actually, they're still growing for us today. They're, they're part of our family, and that was that was really um, the first Sauvignon that uh, I guess really took took Marlborough. And, and Marlborough Sauvignon and New Zealand to the rest of the world and, and that really all happened in the UK in 1986. Uh, we weren't the first winery to produce Sauvignon but certainly I think it would be fair to say and said with a degree of humility um, that we were the first to really sort of showcase what we were doing as a region to the rest of the world. So, And it was a, a wine particularly at that time that that people had never seen those sort of flavours before, uh, all these incredible tropical characters, citrusy characters, um, and it was just people, when they thought of Sauvignon, thought of uh, Sancerre, which are lovely wines, sort of quite restrained and mineral. So all of these flavours were, were very new. They were also um, you know, quite accessible to people. You know, it was a sophisticated wine that offered accessibility and, and also sort of broke a few barriers down in terms of people's ability to to pick up a glass and see and understand immediately what was in, in front of them in terms of flavors and, and style. Yeah, and if you can just touch on again, what makes, um, you know, for people who have had a lot of Sancerre or just Sauvignon Blanc from, let's say, um, California or uh, Chile, what makes um, New Zealand and, and specifically Marlboro, the region, and specifically Cloudy Bay distinct, like, flavor-wise that just captured people's, you know, imagination? Yep, so I'll probably answer that in in two halves, sort of more generically for Marlborough and then I guess Cloudy Bay's take on, on what we think makes a good Marlborough Sauvignon. So, I mean, first and foremost, if you look at Marlborough Sauvignon, um, you know, they're, they're wines that have um, a lot of uh, uh, energy, I think is a really good word for it. Uh, they're really sort of refreshing, sort of nice electric acidity that's like mouth-watering and juicy and flavours that you know, they range from sort of tropical, sort of passion fruity tones, pineapples, um, down to things like grapefruit, lemon and lime, and then things like basil and fennel, like sweet green herbal tones, then even through to things like tomato plant spicy sort of characters, um, bell pepper and jalapeno. So within 
all of those flavors, there's lots of different scope to, to build a Sauvignon. So for us, what certainly I don't want to do is make a, this sort of wine of extremes that sort of has all of these tropical characters and then this bell pepper sort of thing going on. I mean, they're right at the opposite ends of the, the Sauvignon flavor spectrum. Uh, what I think is the really sexy part of a good Marlborough Sauvignon is all of that lovely citrusy character and stone fruit character. So lime, grapefruit, lemon, nectarine, that's really the core of what we want to see. Um, and then accents from the tropical end of the spectrum and then accents from the, that sort of greener, more herbal end of the spectrum. Um, so I think when you buy a bottle of Cloudy Bay Sauvignon, you're buying you know, really elegant and sophisticated Marlborough Sauvignon. Um, that has a degree of restraint and balance and harmony rather than being a wine of like extremes and just outright power. But sometimes those wines may not be the best in terms of drinking. They they're kind of can be a bit fatiguing. Mm-hmm. And first, the first job of a good wine is to be a good drink. So that's top of mind with all of the wines that we make. That's great. And then speaking of all the wines you make, I mean, I, I'm guessing, at least in the United States, 99.9% of people, their introduction to um, New Zealand wine is, is Sauvignon Blanc. That's yes. their entry into into the what the country does. But I yeah. think right now what is, and something I talked about in my last episode, probably the most exciting thing happening now is, is, is Pinot Noir, and specifically from the, the central Otago region. Um, can you talk about, um, and we do have a wine here to taste from that, which I'm excited to try. By the way, we're drinking the Sauvignon Blanc right now. It's excellent. It's super refreshing and uh, lively and zesty, but not um, but not like you said. Um, I think a lot of, sometimes, for me, the knock on any Sauvignon Blanc is they can be sometimes just, just too aggressive, yeah. just too in your face. And too like much you said, of a good thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes, yeah, too much of a good thing, yeah. But uh, there's there sort of you gotta walk that, that razor's edge, I think, sometimes with Sauvignon Blanc. And, and um, it's definitely, you know, you know, balances on that edge and pirouettes. It's really beautiful wine, nice. but but let's talk about um, Pinot Noir and the Central Otago. Um, uh, why is it such a great spot for Pinot Noir, and and when was that kind of discovered? Yeah, uh, again, sort of mid eighties. Again, um, the whole the whole Kiwi wine industry was going through a bit of a, a revolution uh, through that late seventies, early eighties phase. The government was. Uh, paying um, farmers to pull their, their grapevines out. A lot of things were planted to varieties like Muller-Turgal, Silvana, Brydecker, you know, varieties that you don't really associate with. I've never with. even heard of Brydecker. Yeah, you probably don't want to either. <laughs> but, you know, the things that weren't really aligned with uh, high-quality uh, table wine production or still wine production. So, you know, that late 70s, early 80s period, things were happening in Marlborough as well as Central Otago, and people were experimenting um, down there. There was a real school of thought that it was way too cool and it would never work um, in terms of growing grapes down there. And people were just trying different things. Um, And I guess one of the things that people had planted um, was Pinot Noir. And it's a really similar dynamic to what happened in Marlborough. One of the things that happened to be planted was Sauvignon. And then after a few years, you could, you know, people saw some potential in this and went, wow, of all the things that we planted, it's really giving us something. And you know, that, that region has a really special relationship with, with Pinot. That's, um, I guess, in terms of 
climate that's the most similar to, to Burgundy of any other region that we have in, in New Zealand because it's a continental climate and we're a small country so it's hard to get away from the sea. Um, but that, that's an area that, that, that does that. Um, but in saying that, it's very different to Burgundy. It gets a little bit hotter, um, but not so hot that the wines get baked out and cooked and lose their uh, varietal interest. So, yeah, it's just a, a region that has a, a really special affinity with, with the Pinot Noir grape. And, you know, to be honest, there's a lot of regions that have, have that affinity with Pinot Noir um, through NZ. Um, you've got Marlborough, of course, um, Martinborough, uh, the, the Wiper region near Canterbury. Um, it's an emerging region called the Waitaki, which is quite cold and quite extreme. And for me, New Zealand's kind of like a big stretched out Burgundy. Each of those places has their own regional style. Um, so there's a lot of diversity in the in the Kiwi Pinot Noir category, which I think is quite fascinating for people to explore and, and understand. And they're all on the. Um, I mean, I know uh, Marlborough is the north end of the South Island, correct? Yep. And then the Otago is also on the South Island, more yep. centrally located. Yep, sort of south, sort of south central. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's. It's actually one of the most southerly grape-growing regions in the world. Um, you know, we could argue over whether Chile has some of more southerly ones, but basically, it's it's one of the most southerly grape-growing regions in the world. So, and it's a place of extremes: um, big mountains, uh, really sort of shiny soil from a lot of um, mica and quartz in the soil, um, big blue sky. Um, yeah, extreme sports, bungee jumping was was um, invented down there, jet boating, skiing, all that sort of stuff. So it's a, an amazing place to visit. Uh, it's well set up to cater for people who are visiting down there too. Um, and yeah, the wines the wines sort of reflect that. But in saying that, they do have a nice sense of balance. They're not sort of too over the top, but they're you know, they're they're quite a, a recognisable style typically. Yeah. Well, let's try the uh, Central Otago Pinot. Sure. And um, I do like a good Pinot after a long day of bungee jumping, I'll, I'll oh, have you know. Who, who, who doesn't? <laughs> so tell me about the wine that we're about to try. Yep, so this is the 2011 vintage of our Central Otago Pinot Noir, which is called uh, Tawahi, which means the place. So, yeah, And that name was chosen because uh, we wanted it to actually have some real meaning as far as what Pinot Noir represents to us and you know, it's a great variety that is probably more so than any other all about the place. It's such a strong transmitter of the, the set of conditions that it's grown in um, in terms of dictating and ultimately defining the style of wine that you're going to make. So um, yeah this wine has I think lovely red fruit accents. Um, but it's very spicy too. Yeah, a lot of spice, a lot of nice earthy sort of gamey character and some really nice black fruit that sits underneath that. Um, but it, it is a more sort of masculine expression of Pinot Noir relative to our Marlborough wine, which tends to be you know, really fragrant, really perfumed, um, very, very expressive. Um, and the, the structure in this in the Central Otago wine, Tawahi, that we're, we're tasting now, it's more built around a, a platform of tannin um, in terms of structure, whereas the Marlborough wine, for me, its structure comes from interplay of acidity and tannin providing a, a tension um, in the framework of that wine. So yeah, they really are very different different beasts, um, but equally as interesting 
as each other, but yeah, quite quite pleased with the way that the the Tawahi is looking. And what is um. I mean, you sort of touched on this, but I'm always curious that, you know, people, if, if, I, if I poured a, a Pinot Noir flight of uh, sort of uh, iconic textbook Pinot Noirs from, uh, let's say, Burgundy, mm-hmm. from Oregon, from the Russian River Valley, and then maybe this one from the central Otago, is there something that you can pick out and detect and be like, you know what, th- this has the hallmarks of a central Otago Pinot Noir? Yep. I think, um, for me, central Otago wines have uh, a good sense of fruit, generosity so they they have that lovely sort of plush uh, sweetly scented fruit but possibly not as sweet and dense as say some of your central coast pinots from california so they're they're probably for me you've got central coast um gear coming out of california which are usually really opulent quite ripe styles of pinot noir really juicy quite fruity um, and you know, not in a bad way. That's how they they present. And you've sort of got Oregon and and NZ, which are often pretty close to each other in terms of styles, particularly out of Central. So again, they have that nice plushness, that juicy fruit sort of yeah, sweetness through the mid palate. Um, but then I think they they have a little more restraint um, and sort of tip their hat or you know, give the, a little nod towards Burgundy. Um, and then you've got wines from Burgundy that tend to be less about fruit generosity and, and very much around structure. Um, and they, are, they can be quite, you know, means the wrong word, but they're, you know, they're quite tight and, and sometimes quite unyielding in their youth. So you've kind of got three different bands sort of to play within that broader bandwidth of Pinot Noir and they, they each do different things and have their own personalities and hence why the name was The Place because yeah. The Place ultimately dictates dictates that style. And um, and just exploring and discovering um, New Zealand beyond um, its iconic Sauvignon Blanc, when you travel around the country, or when you travel the United States and the world, do, you, do people uh, assume certain things about what New Zealand wine is going to be like or what you're bringing to the table? Do you find yourself answering certain questions or explaining certain things? Are there some misconceptions or just things that you want people to know about the region, yeah. the country? Yeah, look, I think um, particularly in the US, when you mention New Zealand, people instantly go, oh, Sauvignon, and they have one particular idea of what New Zealand Sauvignon looks like. Um, and that, that's a really good thing too. I mean, there's so many places that make wine around the world that would kill to have um, you know, an affinity that's so strong for a particular variety and such a hallmark style. Um, and that, so that's a good thing. The, I guess the thing I think that people, um, you know, it would be good to see them become more aware of is obviously Pinot Noir, and that's, that's been happening steadily and, and quite surely over the years. Um, the most underrated variety that New Zealand produces is Chardonnay. Um, and for me, Chardonnay, unlike Pinot Noir, which is you can't pick Pinot Noir up and plant it anywhere and expect to make a good wine. There's only a few places really around the world that are doing it well in some meaningful scale. Um, and New Zealand is part of that group. Chardonnay, you can pick it up and move it to lots of different places and you can make a good wine, maybe not a great wine. And for me, it's a, it's a cool climate variety. It, it loves being grown somewhere that's that's cool. It gives it um, a nice acid backbone that allows you to build texture and volume into the wine, but that kind of shape that and give it give it focus. They're the wines that I'm I sort of gravitate towards. Something that 
It has shape, but it's going somewhere. It's not this big round, sort of wobbly thing in your mouth. It's got some cut and some drive. So NZ Chardonnay for me, uh, and I'm biased, but um, is is really good. There's some amazing um, producers out there that are doing some great stuff from north to south. So that that for me, it is the one sort of hidden gem that we have that and that the best way to do it is to get some of those wines into people's mouths and they go whoa i did not expect that um well, well let's get some of the uh, cloudy bay sauvignon blanc uh in uh, in our mouths or sorry the chardonnay sure. uh, um you made me very thirsty for it yeah and this is the 2013 uh, 2012 we've got here marlboro and yeah, there's certain with good Chardonnay, I think there's certain rules with how you make it. Great Chardonnay for me is barrel fermented. Amen. Uh, Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Yep. It really. It, Chardonnay loves having winemaking done to it. The the challenge is to know when to stop doing winemaking to it. Um, show some maturity. Don't use too much new wood. Don't pick too ripe. Let it alone a little bit. Sometimes with Chardonnay, it's about what you what you're not doing rather than what you're doing to. But it's a really malleable grape in terms of what you can do um, to shape the style of the wine. And unashamedly, um, I love white burgundy, and we all do at, at Cloudy Bay. So we we draw some inspiration from those wines when building our own Chardonnay. We're not trying to copy that because, again, it's all about the place. We're not growing the grapes in burgundy, so they're our wines. But the, the way this wine fits together, it's... It's not too ripe, it's not too round, <coughs> excuse me, it has that sort of focus and you know the acid corsets the wine and gives it a nice shape. I like that corsets. Yeah, it's a nice way to think of what acidity does, uh, particularly in white wine, but also red wines. So it really does dictate how sort of tightly glued all of the elements of the wine are. Um, so really low acid wines are kind of, they're not glued up too tight, they're kind of round and rich and sometimes you know they, they don't have enough sense of purpose so good chardonnay for me has has that sort of sense of direction it knows what it's doing when you put it in your mouth and that's why it belongs in a cool climate not a warm climate for me and i agree well um long time listeners to the show and uh readers of my blog at jamesonfink.com will know that i uh, i've come out very strongly in favor of oak and chardonnay i'm kind of sick of the backlash to it and i mean in some ways it's justified because of the the lavishness of new oak and all that mallow but um i find most unoak chardonnay except for of course like beautiful chablis uh, to be just shrill and, and kind of boring and just nothing but i mean they're like an empty corset um there's nothing but but screeching acidity and i love acidity so i i love uh i love oak and chardonnay it's like you said it adds you know you don't use too much of it you don't use all new it adds texture it adds richness it adds uh, a lot of a lot of beautiful things and and definitely chardonnay has to be one if not the most kind of malleable grape i mean it's a it's i mean it's like a it's a great winemaker's grape because you really have a lot of leeway to do things and it's a very nice wine. It's right up my alley. So, Tim, I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, I think we've definitely talked about, uh, in a little short time, the diversity of wines in New Zealand. It's not just Sauvignon Blanc, although that is excellent, and certainly Cloudy Bay is an iconic producer. So I would encourage everyone to explore uh, the totality of New Zealand wine, and you can do that with Cloudy Bay, with as we just did with not just the Sauvignon Blanc, but the Chardonnay and uh, Pinot Noir from the Otago. You can also explore um, Marlboro Pinot Noir. There's just a whole bunch of... Uh, 
uh, New Zealand wines out there to try. So uh, enjoy your Sauvignon Blanc, but next time you're at your wine shop or restaurant, uh, reach for a different grape. So thanks, Tim, for being here. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. My pleasure. You're listening to Wine Without Worry with Jameson Fink. 